So like I said, we are going to talk about the end of the world. Let's read uh, Mark 13, the first few verses that set the tone. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones and what magnificent buildings. Uh, if you have not been here, for the last two chapters, 11 and 12, Jesus has been in the temple. Remember, the temple is the most holy place for the Jewish people. It's the place where God, the creator, comes down and meets with his people. As they worship him, God's presence is at the temple. And so Jesus is this teacher and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all of these religious leaders, they don't like Jesus. And so they test him, they try him, and Jesus passes every test. You cannot stump him. You cannot trick him. He's alone in his knowledge and his wisdom. But Jesus is about to do something significant symbolically. And, and the temple is the center of their religion. And Jesus is about to flip that upside down. So the disciples, as they're walking away, they say, Jesus, isn't this place amazing? The stones of the temple, the base stones, some of them were, were 25 feet high and huge in width and diameter. And, and they were uncut. They were these big things that they brought. I don't even know how they got it in there. And they set them so there was no building like the temple. It was all whitewashed stone. So we don't know it because we weren't there. When you went to Jerusalem, the mountain lit up. It was glowing because all the stones were super white and they were laid with gold. So when you came to this land and you heard about this God, you were like, that's the God who's got this glowing building. His, his glory is there. And so this was the best place you can think of. And so they're enamored with the building. And look at what Jesus says, verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. These are stones that weigh tons and tons and tons, 25 feet high, totally solid. Jesus says not one of these stones is going to be on top of another. It's going to be totally crushed. Now, this, this is crazy talk for anybody because they had spent 50 years building this building. It's the most ornate worship center in the Roman Empire. There's nothing like this. I grew up in New York City, and for us, the Twin Towers were like the epic two buildings in lower Manhattan. And before 9-11, if you'd have ever told me yeah, that someone could knock down these towers. I would laugh at you. And so in the same way, what Jesus is saying is crazy talk, but he's not talking crazy. Look at what he says, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so it's a mountain across, and they're staring at the greatest temple across from them, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, Jesus, when will these things happen? Because they believe him. Jesus does not lie and everything he says comes to pass. So they're like, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign? And that's the key phrase, the sign, the one sign that they're about to be fulfilled. And uh, Jesus said to them, watch out. The a Greek word here is blepo. It means see. Watch out. See that no one deceives you. Now, what we're going to read, we're going to read the rest of the chapter in one setting. You need to see this because Jesus is going to talk about one event that happens in two parts. And I'm going to repeat that about a thousand times. Jesus is talking about one thing. It's going to happen in two parts. So one thing's about to happen, but it's in two parts. And because 
Many people are wondering today, where is this world going? What Jesus has to say is totally relevant. Now, how is the world going to end? Every year, whether it's Godzilla this year or some other movie, every year there are these mega movies about the end of the world. And in it, either L.A. or New York are destroyed. I mean, have you seen them? You can just change the title, change the actors. It's the same scene. Something comes in, aliens or natural stuff, and the world is destroyed because we're all enamored about where the world is going. And the question is, how is the world going to end? When, when's the story going to come to a close? And what does it look like? Now, tonight, in light of a whole series of books, how many read the Left Behind series? Left Behind sold 63 million copies. And the movies, so there, there's been a, this push, even the last 10 years, about these questions. When is the world going to end? And what's in the future? And when is Jesus going to return? Now, Mark 13 is the longest teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and it's the last one. So hear this. Mark, when he wrote his gospel, saved, in a sense, the most important thing for last. There's a couple more things Jesus has to say, but then he goes to the cross. But this is the biggest teaching, and it's the last one, because when Mark is writing, and you need to know the setting, when Mark is writing, it's been 30 years since Jesus has left. Most of these Christians he's writing to are in Rome, they're in the Roman Empire, and they're suffering. So when you're hearing Mark 13, you need to know this. When you're hearing this, you're in the church, but the Jews are fighting against you. The synagogue leaders think that Jesus was a fraud and your faith uh, is futile. You should, you're turning away from the true faith. Don't follow Jesus. The Romans are against you and they're attacking you as a new faith. So Christians are being uh, pressured by the Jews and pressured by the Romans. When you're hearing this, there are wars everywhere. At the time that Mark writes, uh, the number of Caesars that are getting killed is epic. In one year, there were four Caesars in one year. And so the army's fighting the army, and there's, there's all sorts of weirdness. There are natural disasters, earthquakes, and tremors, and there's all sorts of wondering in the time that they're reading this. Where is the world headed? So it's with that kind of lens, I want us to see what Jesus has to see. The, they ask the question, look at verse 3, what will the sign be? What will be the sign? And so what is the sign that Jesus is going to give? Well, actually, actually it's down to verse 4. Tell us when these things will happen. What, will the, what is the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? They ask for the, the key. Jesus, you say the temple is going to be destroyed. You say a whole new thing is coming. What's going to trigger it? Look at verse 5 again. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Blepo, see, see, keep your eyes open. And then he lists out, and I'm going to read for a long while, from verses 5 all the way to verse 31 are the signs. They're asking for the sign, and Jesus does not give it. So hear it straight up. They ask, what's the sign that the temple's about to be destroyed? Jesus doesn't answer it. He gives them a bunch of signs. So let's just read it. Uh, verse 6, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. So one sign will be there are going to be people claiming to be the leader. Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So there are going to be all sorts of like natural things happening. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in various places, famines. But here's the trick. 
this is the key phrase, these are the beginning of birth pains. So they want to know what's the one sign that Jesus' prediction. And Jesus says, all of these signs are not the sign. They're the beginning. Now, because I'm a guy, I know a lot about birth. And um, I know a lot about the birth process. Uh, and, I, and what Jesus is saying is just this little thing. When a woman is about to be in labor, it could happen weeks beforehand. You begin to feel contractions. You begin to feel like something's changing. They call it like the nesting period. Right before a woman's about, like, there's something changes. She's getting ready. And so what Jesus is using is a natural a phenomenon to explain what's going to happen. All sorts of things are going to be happening in the world when Jesus' words will be fulfilled. But he's saying, don't freak out and don't go looking for the sign because it's just the beginning. Now, verse 9, you must be on your guard. That's that word blepo again. So Jesus says it again and again and again. I want you to see. I want you to watch out. I want you to be on guard. That's the response. The response to what's going to happen is just keep your eyes open. Uh, You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first, first be preached to the nations. Now, the nations, uh, for, for them, was the Roman Empire. It needs to make it to the end of the Roman Empire. Because Rome really had um, leadership over all of the known world that they knew of. And whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father's child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so Jesus, again, is not giving a sign. He's giving the signs. Many things are going to happen, and they're trying to peg Jesus down to one thing. Jesus just says, hey, a lot of things are going to be happening when the temple is destroyed. Verse 14 really keys in on some particular signs. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, that is an Old Testament reference. No time to get into it tonight, but it's from Daniel chapter 12, and it's when God's temple has a leader in it that has no right to be there. Um, Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be for those uh, uh, in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray it won't take place in the winter because those days will be distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Pause. This is a lot. And I realize it's Sunday night. And this is like, what's going on? Remember, they asked Jesus, you said no stone's going to remain. The temple's going to be destroyed. What's the sign that it's going to happen? And what Jesus is saying so far that has pertinence to his disciples is because the, the temple is the most holy place, Jews would do anything to protect God's house. So Jewish people, they would raise up the army to protect God's house. And what Jesus is saying is when this happens, my followers, don't do what is your natural inclination. You love God and you love God's house and you're going to give your life for it. Jesus is saying, run away. Get out of here. 
Because this no longer, this temple is no longer the place that God will dwell. God's presence is leaving this temple, which is shocking because God meets his people at the temple. But Jesus is saying a time is about to happen when you will encounter God and it will be outside of this temple. And because God's presence has left the building, don't give your life to protect it. Rather, flee from the area. Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs, false prophets, will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even God's elect. So, and then the word blepo again, keep your eye open, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So let's just see what we know so far. They're asking for a sign. Jesus says there's all of these things are going to be happening. And I'm telling you in advance on purpose. Now then he goes into this other section, verses 24 through 31, that need a little more explanation. So we'll kind of camp there for a bit. Are you with me? Just smile and wave, boys. Like just, just keep doing. This is a lot of background, but if you want to know where the world is headed, and you want to know what we should be doing in light of what God has said, this is huge. Don't miss this. Verse 24. In those days, following that distress, and then these quotes from Isaiah and Joel, these prophets that were speaking towards the future, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All of those made sense to those hearing it. For us, it's a little more vague. At that time, this is the key, People will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So Jesus is saying all these things are going to happen, but then this huge sign will be a clue for you. The Son of Man coming with the clouds with great power and glory. Now, what's happening so far, Jesus is outside the temple. He's speaking these words symbolically. He's saying God's presence has left. I'm, I'm speaking judgment against this. And, and when you see the Son of Man coming with the clouds, now for me growing up, this, this meant that Jesus is returning on the clouds. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting. And please just hear me out. Hear me out. This may be different than you understand. But when you read what Jesus is saying here, the Son of Man coming on the clouds. The first inference is we think literal, Son of Man, Jesus, coming down on the clouds to collect his people here on the earth, right? Hear me out, and we can chat later if this is like too outside the box for you. But when you read Daniel 7, which this is a, a, an inference from Daniel 7, Daniel is prophesying about what is to come the Son of Man coming in the clouds is different than most of us think. So hear me out. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I think we got it on the screen. It says, In my vision, Daniel speaking, at night I looked, there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now look at what happens. He, the Son of Man with the clouds, uh, which, by the way, the clouds um, are symbolic for God's glory, God's presence. So the Son of Man comes with God's glory, God's presence. He approached the Ancient of Days, 
which is a reference for the Creator God, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of, of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So hear me out. Son of man coming with the clouds isn't a reference to Son of Man coming down, it's actually the reverse. When the Son of Man comes, and hear this out, Son of Man comes with the clouds, where does he go? Into the presence of the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man going up in glory is in the presence of God. And when the Son of Man goes up into the presence of God, he's given power, authority, dominion, and rule. What, is, what, what Jesus is referring to here is not his return. Now, hear me clearly. I am not saying Jesus is not going to return. I'm, hear me clearly. I'm not saying Jesus is not going to return. I am not saying Jesus is not going to return. Jesus is going to return. But what Jesus is saying here is not about his return. Rather, he's referring to what Daniel was speaking to. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus comes and gives his life as a ransom for many, when he rises again, God, the Ancient of Days, will recognize what his Son has done, the Son of Man, and will bring him up in the clouds in glory, and he will recognize the Son as having all authority, all dominion, all power, all praise, and everyone will worship the Son of Man. So what Jesus is saying is that one of the things that is going to show the destruction of the temple— now again, this is a lot of background. One of the things that's going to show a sign of the destruction of the temple is when the Son of Man, Jesus himself, rises up and goes to the Father and ascends into heaven and is seen as the King of the universe when Jesus is on display and Jesus is shown in glory and when Jesus sends out his people, you and me, people are going to see the Son of Man in power. And when they realize that you can know Jesus outside of the temple and you can worship the living God at anywhere, at any place, at any time, the temple will no longer be needed. Jesus connects his coming, the Son of Man returning to the Father, having all authority as one of the signs that shows he is the ruling king and the temple is no longer needed. Now let me just finish out through verse 31. We'll take a breath and then we'll talk about the future of the world. Because what I'm suggesting tonight is Mark 13, 5 through 31 is all about something that already happened. Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again and he is the son of man and he has ascended to the father and he is the leader of the universe and the evidence that Jesus is ruling and Jesus is the king and the reason that we see it is because we see the evidence of Jesus at work right here. The fact that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? Don't worry when you go before synagogue rulers and they bring you before rulers. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit my spirit, says Jesus, will tell you what to say. And when you read the book of Acts and you see the church going out, doing the works of Jesus and everything Jesus did, the apostles and the leaders in the church did in greater number in the book of Acts. 
Everything Jesus did, his followers did. And as the gospel went out, it was the sign. The sign was not one sign. It was the evidence. Jesus is alive. His people are doing the kingdom work. Jesus is ruling and he is showing us his reign and everyone should follow Jesus. Now let's just finish this out. Some of you are looking at me like, Jose, you're stepping on my toes. Hang on. God will give you shoes later on. Anyway, um, at that time, verse 26, at that time, people see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power. He'll send his angels. Jump down to verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. And this is, this is important. Verse 30. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Everything Jesus has said from verse 5 to verse 31 is about what's going to happen in one generation. In one generation, we know this from history, Jesus died and rose again somewhere between 30 and 33. And we know it in history. In, in AD 69, four emperors were reigned as a Caesar. They got killed. There was wars. There was rumors of wars. And then by A.D. 70, a new Caesar came to power. His son-in-law, Titus, walked through Jerusalem as his father, I'm not a son-in-law, his stepson, uh, walked in. Titus walked into the temple in Jerusalem, killed thousands of Jews. The temple was destroyed. It happened in history. Everything Jesus said here, the Son of Man being raised up and seen as glorious, and and the temple being destroyed. It happened in AD 70 and the temple has not been rebuilt since. Not one stone was left on the other. You can go to Israel now. The Wailing Wall was not part of the exact Temple Mount. It was a wall outside the Temple Mount. Everything Jesus said came to pass within one generation. A generation is 40 years. And within 40 years of Jesus' resurrection, every word comes to pass. So Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. You can trust Jesus at his word. Now, why is this important? When Mark writes this, it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. So you have the church in the late 60s, right before the temple's destroyed, wondering, Jesus, have you left us? Have you forgotten us? We're being persecuted for your name. Your name is being laughed at. And you said you're the great glorious king. You're the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. We're worshiping you. Jesus, will you come and help us? And Mark writes Jesus' words so the church will not have to worry. Everything that Jesus says always comes to pass. And after Mark writes it in AD 70, we think that Mark wrote somewhere in the late 60s, maybe 66, 68. A couple of years later, after they read it, they see it in the newspaper, so to speak. And Jesus' words come true. So the temple is destroyed and, and you will see the Son of Man is just one of the signs. But for us, this is key. Mark 13, 5 through 31 doesn't point forward to future events, but rather it pointed to what happened in AD 70. For us, we're looking back and when you read Mark 13, you should not be asking yourself, are these the signs of Jesus' return? These are not. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other in Revelation and in other places. I'm not suggesting there aren't other signposts. But I'm saying if you read Mark 13 and you read it in context, 
what Jesus is saying will happen, verse 30, within one generation, and it happens within one generation. Now, a lot of that was like, wow, that may be new. That may be, that may be contradictory to what uh, you're thinking. All I'm asking is keep an open mind on it. But, but, but what can we think about the future? So you're saying, if this all happened, then what do we do now? What does Jesus have to say about the future? At the end of the chapter, the good news is Jesus does point past AD 70. He does give us a glimpse into the future, and it's in verse 32. So Jesus speaks, what about, but about that day and an hour or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Here, Jesus isn't speaking about what's about to happen with the temple, but he's speaking about the future things. Verse 33, be on your guard, that word blepo, see, be alert. Do, uh, you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So Jesus is saying, these signs are going to happen. The temple is going to be destroyed. But Jesus is going to come about that day. What day is that? It's the day of the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, they were looking forward for the day of the Lord, the day that God would come and judge the earth and make all things new. All Jews were looking for the day of the Lord. It's not about the temple. They're looking for the day that God's going to return and make all the wrong right and judge everyone, the dead and the living, and take those who are his, who are righteous, and make them new and that they would be with him forever. Jews were looking for that day. And Jesus says, now about that day that you're really wondering about. They were asking about the temple, but Jesus fast forwards to the day of the Lord. What Jesus says is, you're not going to know. And it's like a guy who's got a house and he goes away and he gives a bunch of people their positions and says, I want you to do a task. You don't know when they're going to come, but what should you do? You should keep watch. Verse 35. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or midnight, the rooster crows at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, Watch. So what do we know about the future? The day of the Lord, Jesus simply says, keep alert, watch, see, don't fall asleep. Now, why is this important? A lot of that may be new information or you got to chew on it. Why is all this important? Because they asked Jesus at the beginning, what's the sign of your coming? They wanted to know what's the predictor. You know what Jesus says? I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to know. As a matter of fact, he says to them, no one knows the day or the hour, not even me. The angels don't know it. I don't know it. Only the Father knows it. So disciples, you're wanting to know exactly what God's going to do in his future. And Jesus says, it's his to declare. It's his to do. It's not our business. And it should not be our focus. The reason I bring this up is because when we think about what God is doing now, when we think about what God's doing in the future, it's not our responsibility to spend our energy wondering when is Jesus going to return. He promised that every word will come to pass. So verses 5 through 31, everything he said will come to pass already came to pass. So when it comes to the great day that we're looking forward to, when Jesus does return, and hear me, friend, Jesus will return. He is coming and he's going to make all things new. But here's the trick. 
He does not tell us the sign. He doesn't give us any. The one sign he gives us, quote unquote, is you're not going to know. And so he gives a little analogy, a little story. It's like a guy who has a house, goes away, and gives people responsibility. Now, if they know that the owner is fair and good, and they're given responsibility, what do the people do while the owner is away? They work. So Jesus is saying, in light of his coming, in light of what's to come, in light of the future, what should we do in response? And the answer is, blepo in Greek, see, watch, keep alert, don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, if you've been given a task by God, do it now because we don't know how much time we have. We don't know what's in the future and we don't have to know. If we're spending our energy wondering and worried about the future, we may be neglecting the very thing that God's called us to do right now. And so if we have limited resources, which we all have, here's what Jesus is saying. Use your resources for the good. Finish the task. Verse 37 again, read it. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now that doesn't mean just keep your eyes open. The word watch here means be in constant readiness. Be on alert. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Now, in light of all this, okay, what is God going to do in the future? Jesus is going to return. We don't know the day and the hour, but we know that every word he has said has come to pass. And we know that if he says he's coming, he's going to come. And so in Acts chapter 1, the disciples ask in a different way. When are you going to give the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates set by my Father. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. In other words, it's not up to us to, to see the signs in the heavens or the earth. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you have power to do what God's called you to do. And so don't worry about the future. Worry about what God has told you to do and do it. In light of his coming, we should be not workaholics, but we should be at work. We shouldn't be stressed out, but we should have a reverence for Jesus and his coming. We shouldn't be concerned like, oh no, am I, am I ready? Am I ready? Rather, we should be investing and looking into our own life and saying, gosh, am I living a life that's right before God? I should because Jesus could come at any point when the owner comes back. I just want to find myself in a place where I'm active and I'm serving, and I'm working, and I'm leading, and I'm trusting. In light of all this, I think three applications that may fit your scenario, and I know they fit mine. And, and if you're going to write anything down, just write these down, because they come right from the text. Jesus says them, and I think we ought to consider them for ourselves. Number one, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the future. Jesus tells his disciples again and again and again, whenever they're stressed out, don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, think of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. Uh, if God takes care of the, the, the flowers in the field, he takes care of the birds in the air, how much more is he going to take care of you? Of you, a little faith. Do not worry. Rather, what do you do? Seek God in his kingdom and the other stuff will take care of itself. Whenever we are stressed about the future, Jesus says, don't worry about the future. I hold the future. Don't you worry. Now, there's two extremes here, and we can err on either. One is to be obsessed about the future. What are the signs? What's going to go on? I don't know. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? And so we can read the paper and worry and wonder. And, and we do not know the day or the hour. 
Jesus said, you will not know. If we will not know, then why are we trying to get a hold of that day? That, now, I'm not saying we should be uninterested. I'm saying we shouldn't be obsessed with it. Second extreme, and I think this is where more of us fall into, we don't, we don't even worry about it at all. We don't think about the future at all. And so either extreme is not what Jesus is saying. In light of his very real coming, we should, we should own up to that reality enough where it says, wow, if he's really going to return, I ought to be in right relationship with him. Second thing is stay faithful to Jesus. Stay faithful. What he wanted his disciples to do is to be like the workers in the house. He's given them tasks. And so hear this. If you're alive and you're a follower of Jesus, you have something to do. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Remember, he said earlier, don't worry when you're going to be brought before synagogue rulers and before leaders. Now, why would they be before synagogue rulers and leaders? It's because they were doing the Jesus work. They're preaching the gospel. They're loving the unlovable. They're living counterculturally. They're actually doing Jesus' things and people are getting mad at them. And Jesus says, don't worry, you've been given the spirit. I will take care of you. You will have the words to speak. So the call tonight is to not be worried, not be fearful, not be dreading the future, but rather be faithful to Jesus in the present. If you're alive today, follow Jesus today. If he gives you tomorrow, follow Jesus tomorrow. If he gives you a year, follow him passionately in light of his coming. We should be found in love with Jesus and in pursuit of Jesus, not lazy. And so the, 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 the possibility of coasting through the Christian life is an oxymoron. None of us should ever find ourselves in a place where Jesus loves me. I'm okay. I got nothing to worry about. It's all good. The, the king is coming. I'm his child. Rather, if I'm his child and I'm, I'm his co-laborer and I'm doing his work, I should find myself passionately pursuing opportunities to do Jesus' work every day that I'm given. So the future should be a motivation for today. If he's going to return, I want to be one of those. That he, he says, well done, good, faithful servant. Now come into the kingdom. There's great reward for you. Which you know what the great reward is? More work. It totally is. Those who've been faithful in this life, in the age to come, when Jesus returns and makes all things new, there will be beautiful work to do in Jesus' name in the age to come. No harps, no clouds, no weird white robes. We're going to be actively working doing God's work on his new earth that he's recreated, but without sin and without struggle and without evil. We're going to enjoy long days of work without stress. And at the end of the day, we're going to eat with God's people and with the Lord himself. And let me tell you, it will be spicy. It will be good. It will be yum, yum. Yes. The question is, in light of his coming, what are we doing today? What are we doing right now? Third goes along with that, live ready. Uh, worried about the future? Worried about what, the return of Jesus? Hey, it's real simple. Live ready today. Whatever God has told you to do, do it today. Wherever he's leading you, do it today. And so all of these tag to a question. Are you afraid about the future? Well, consider tonight what Jesus said. You have nothing to be fearful of. 
unless you're outside his family, unless you haven't repented, unless you haven't chosen to follow him. Look, if you're not a Jesus follower, you have every reason to be afraid of the future because apart from God, there is no good future for anyone who rejects the Son of Man, who's been raised to the high place and who is the King of the universe and worshiped by all. If you reject Jesus, you have no hope. But if you're in Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Uh, tonight, maybe the second question, are you finding yourself faithful? If not, then tonight, just come to God with who you are and what you have and say, hey, there's no guilt trip here, Jesus. Here I am. I, I want to be useful for you. And you know what? Any one of his kids who say to Jesus, I want to be used, guaranteed, he will use you. He'll stretch you. He'll push you. But he wants servants that are willing he doesn't want to kick us into it. He loves it when we come to him and say, I want to be used. And so tonight, when you think about all the opportunities just here in our community, it could be as simple as rolling paint or it could be serving the kids area. It could be serving in your block. It could be serving the people you work with, that you live with, that you go to school with. There are so many ways to live like Jesus. Most of them aren't in an official church setting. Live like him. Love like him. Talk like him. Find yourself wrapped up in him and you will find yourself ready. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? And that's not a scare tactic. It's a beautiful question. Those disciples who heard this, they were ready. And so this is a word of encouragement. Wow, Jesus is coming. So watch, work, be active. So the invitation tonight is wherever you're at, the Holy Spirit is already at work. And so all we want to do in response is to invite God by his Holy Spirit. Remember, he said, when you are put before people, don't worry about what to say. My spirit will give you the words. And so when you, when you hear a message like this, how do you respond? I don't know. For some of you, it may be, I need to follow Jesus. That's, that's the right response. For some of you, it may, need, it may be, I need to actually take this life in Jesus seriously. I need to be an active participant in the kingdom of God, not just a passive spectator who does weekends and occasional Christian holidays, and that's it. And maybe you're anxious. Maybe the response is to say, live in peace. God holds your future in his hands. I don't know what you're going through, therefore I can't give you the response, but the Spirit of God can. 